And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by my guys, Chris McCormick, the serial killer, Mr. Robot, Gene Parenti. Guys, how are we doing? Hanging in there. Yeah, I can't Gene, complain. Gene sounds awful. I, I feel really bad. So last week, I reached out to Gene and I was texting him like, I'm just going to call him. And so I call him and he picks up the phone. He really did sound like death. So Gene and I have been in the same boat. The COVID has has struck. I'm I'm on the other side. Gene, it still feels like you're like you're kind of still in the tunnel a little bit, but it's it's good to see you. I'll tell you uh the one bonus is 10 pounds lost in 4 days. It is the ultimate weight wow. loss. <laughs> the problem You've been able to is- eat anything. The problem is it's not sexy skinny. It's kind of like, so you're just looking at yourself just like, oh man, you do not look good. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking sickly over there. (laughs) Just sickly and everything. But you know, you're looking at it, you're like, man, I just got 10 pounds off the scale. I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to bake this. So I I don't, I don't, I don't think any any positive. I don't think the COVID diet is, is, is something that anybody (laughs) wants to, anybody wants to be on, but it it is good to see you. I I got it right before I was supposed to go to Palm Springs for the, for the first tour event in the mainland. And yeah, I was like, oh man, I'm just not feeling good. And you know, this time of the year is pretty stressful anyway. And so I'm just kind of chalking up to stress and eh, just take a COVID test. And thankfully I did. Why not? That's positive. Along with a bunch of the people I knew, yeah, it was just a fun time. So anyway, Chris, you've you've got you've gotten COVID, right? Oh, I had COVID before COVID was cool. So I had <laughs> I had original COVID in OG. February. The OG COVID. Yeah, this is uh, I, you know kids today they just don't know how good they got it. This is like COVID. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah they they don't understand how easy this COVID is. I had original COVID. You had COVID when they said, here's some Robitussin, go get better. Exactly. Rub some dirt on it, kid. Get <laughs> rub back. Some dirt. I was about to say, rub some dirt on it. Yeah, there You'll be go. fine. But get Gene, if it, makes you, if it makes you feel any better, I am in Orlando right now at the uh, at the PGA show looking at all the newest, latest, and greatest gadgets and gizmos and uh, all that is golf. And with the vendors that we've seen and, and the whining and dining and all of this, the 10 pounds that you lost, I found it. I'm holding on to it for you. I will happily give it back next time I see you. I'm keeping it safe for you in the, uh, the moob section, in the spare tire section. It's all you. Next time I see you, you can have it back. Or, or Orlando does have a way of tacking on a few extra oh. LBs, doesn't it? Yes, it does indeed. And they're talking about going out again tonight. I'm going, uh, uh, I don't know about all that. Yeah, I don't drink, no, but all of the all of the food and appetizers and just stuff sitting around while everybody else is getting, you know, cocktail hour. I'm going, yeah, the chicken wing does look pretty good. <laughs> Too funny. Did you, did you go out to demo day yesterday, Chris? Uh, we worked demo day with true spec. We had our, uh, it looked pretty miserable. I'm not going to lie. It was cold. It was wet. Uh, it was a little breeze. We never saw the sun. It's never uh, good on that range when there's a, when there's any sort of breeze. If it if it's I, blowing, I remember the one year where it was blowing so hard, tents were like flipping over, and they just didn't had have to, that. They had to call it. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. But it did look it did look kind of rough when I popped into the media center. 
I look. I was looking at it golf channel on the TV, and I'm like, oh, everybody's in rain gear, and looks like it's spitting, and I kind of see some parkas out there. So I'm guessing it's not. It was like a all day. Rain. It was just yeah. relentless all day long. We got there yeah. a little before eight o'clock in the morning, and we get set up, get staged. We were all the way in the back of the range, uh, back by, I think it was Teen Ground Six, and we were up there next to Bridgestone and a couple of food trucks, and. Uh, we had a we had a good time. I mean, I was shocked at the amount of traffic that we had, given the conditions. And I mean, as some of our industry friends know, there's there's not really any of the big OEMs that are here to draw, you know, some of the traffic. But it's a different year for the show, for sure. It is without without the is. big names. But it was. Uh, I mean, they did a good job. I mean, I don't have anything negative to say. It was it was busy. The range, you know, at least looked full with the vendors that they did have. And I mean, we had a ton of foot traffic handed out a bunch of stuff and had a lot of inquiries. So I think it was beneficial for us to be here. hundred percent. Every, everybody wants the free swag, the, the week of the show, you know, one of my, the, one of the most amusing times is on like the end of the, the end of the show, the last day, they usually will let in some of the public and they just go buck wild going from booth to booth trying to get any free stuff that they can possibly get. It is, it's hilarious. I, I don't stay for the last, yeah, I don't <laughs> stay for the last day anymore when, when I go, but I was, <laughs> listen, this year I was really happy. Normally I've got to go, go to Orlando and like you, it's like, you just kind of eat your way through Orlando for those, you know, three or four days. But I ended up going the opposite direction and going to Tory. One of my favorite spots on the tour schedule. Gene lives out in San Diego, but I realized that Gene probably didn't want to go grab a beer and hang out with. Unfortunately. Uh, with, yeah, with, on the back end of COVID. So, yeah, I, I got a couple of productive days. It was a weird week because it was only two days of practice. They're ending the tournament on a Saturday, so they don't end up going head-to-head with the NFL, which nobody wants to go head-to-head. I honestly think that they should just do that for all the early season events. Because, yeah. I mean, nobody watched Palm Springs last week, which, you know, it's at PGA West. Great, great backdrop for, for the start to the year. Tory's a great tournament. You know, you've got Phoenix in there. You've got Riv. I mean, there's some great events, but it just const- – they constantly get – go. you know, you can't go head-to-head with the NFL during during January and, and you know, early February when the Super Bowl is going on. So – yeah, I would. I would much rather see them do what they're doing this week. And only it was only two days of practice. I was talking to a couple of pros, and one of the guys yesterday was was telling me he's like, "Dude, this is awesome. No pro am. It feels like a Wednesday. I don't have to. I don't have to go out. And you know, the pro ams are are an important part. I get it because you know that's where the money's coming from. But sure. for these guys, early in the season when they're when they're trying to to get some good starts under their belt, and you know couple days of practice is not a bad thing so yeah it was weird showing up on a monday and i'm like usually it's quiet and there were a lot of guys milling around it's like oh yeah it's it's basically like a tuesday so it was busy tons and tons of of new gear it's it's that time of the year i shot a ton of stuff we're posting it up on on the fully equipped social media feeds the one that you can probably see a lot of the photos that i'll be posting it's at fully equipped golf on instagram the the highlights i'll you know do the i'll do the weekly rundown in the wall to wall. I don't even, it's like they, they named it after me. It's still kind of weird that it's called wall to wall. It's, it's the weekly gear notes for golf.com. Let's just, let's just call it that. You should be flattered. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Run no. with it. You, it's, you it's got a, branded. That's awesome. Own it. Own it. Yeah. No, it's embarrassing. So, first off, I'm hanging around on Monday and was talking to Dylan Fertelli. So, Dylan Fertelli has an interesting bag setup, and it's one that I've never seen before. So, we all know the tour average tour pro is going to have a set of irons and somewhere, whether it's the pitching wedge or the gap wedge, they're, they're going to transition into a blade, a blade wedge. And that's, you know, one that probably won't match their iron set. So a lot of pros will go, you know, maybe they have a set of small, smaller cavity backs and they go into a set of, let's just say it's Vokey or Callaway, TaylorMade, whatever, but it's, it looks like a blade iron. It has no cavity. It's, it's the standard Vokey, Callaway, TaylorMade wedge that you see more workability. You see a lot of guys say that it's better with, you know, flyers out of the rough. Well, Dylan Fertelli had not only, so he's got the apex TCB irons. He had a gap wedge that was an apex TCB, which you almost never see like pros matching the gap wedge to their irons. And then they made him a sand wedge, a total one-off. It's a one of one of the Apex TCB, and Dylan said it costs $4,000 to make. Wow. Do you believe it? One of one. One of one, $4,000. Uh, well, if, it, if it's a one-off in, you know, the milling time, absolutely. Yep. And and the amount of time to create a CAD file, yeah, absolutely. You know? That's, you took the words right out of my mouth, Gene, because that's exactly what that's exactly what they said is, now they have a CAD file on it because Dylan loved it so much. So what ended up happening is he was going through his, his TrackMan combine numbers and noticed that he was better with the set Apex TCB gap than he was, you know, uh, a, a JAWS version of that wedge. And so it got him wondering like, okay, well, if, if my numbers are showing it, like, why don't I just throw it in the bag? So he talked to Roger Cleveland and he said, like, Roger, why why aren't more pros using uh, a gap wedge from their set, from their iron set that matches it? And, and Roger kind of threw his hands up in the air and just said, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just kind of the way that it's always been out on tour. So that got Dylan thinking, all right, wait a minute. If the gap wedge for him, he said that what he really liked about it was it had a little bit more beef. He felt like it gave him a little bit more mishit protection, which with a wedge, you know, these guys are pretty dialed, but even he was just saying spin numbers were more consistent, even on those mishits, if he got caught in a little bit heel or toe. And that was kind of the, the impetus behind the change of the gap. But then again, he's like, all right, well, if it's good with the gap, why don't I get it in a sand wedge? And so his only concern was like, I'm sure you guys are thinking like, how do you use that out of, you know, a bunker chipping, you know, it's, it's got a little bit of a different, at least the one that, that Dylan has right now, it looks like it's got a little bit of a different sole width. The grind is just a touch different just because again, because it's kind of a total one-off, but he tried it out and loved it. And so now he has, he, he told me, he's like, I, I'm the only guy who's going to be using one of these. He doesn't expect anybody else to, to use a set matched sand wedge. I don't even think Callie probably wants to make any because of the cost, but Hey, at least they have a CAD file now. But that that was probably the wildest story from the week was a guy with a with a set matched four thousand dollar sand wedge. Um, it, it got a couple of people calling bullshit, but it's it's true. It's it's it takes a lot of time when you when you don't have a CAD file and you got to create something from scratch. 
I would imagine, yeah, the the behind the scenes work that goes into start to finish production of a new club head that doesn't exist and then getting it from concept to production. Yeah, I mean, 4,000 might even be a little on the light side compared to some of the other stuff that's created. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing about when Xander Shoffley had the very first set of the Apex Pros. And this is back when they were like total prototypes. No badging. The the cavity kind of had a really cool look. And it's, I mean, it's now the design that you see on the Apex Pros if you were to look at them. But he had a, he had a total one-off set. And I was told that those were like 20K plus to make for him. That, the best that, part was, sure. oh yeah. Well, the best <laughs> part was I saw Xander at a tournament and we were just like small talk. I said, hey, do you know what your irons cost? And he's like, no, do you? And I was like, yeah. And so I yes, told him, I and he's do. like, He's like, dude, I got a backup set of those at home. He's like, man, that's kind of crazy that they cost so much. Like even tour pros, I think, are a little bit impressed when they realize what some of their clubs cost to manufacture and, and create. Well, so and, it, and it, it's, you know, because at the end of the day, and it's really fascinating, and this is always, this comes down to this kind of uh, paradox that is the uh, major OEM. The major OEM designs for the chops. That's who they design for because chops buy golf clubs. And oh, yeah. when I say chops, I do, I say so affectionately. But the <laughs> with, two, with all due the, respect, with all due respect, uh, but the um, but the tour drives sales. So you have to service the tour, but you're designing so much of your focus of your design is to enhance the game for the you know mid handicap slightly lower or slightly higher handicap player and so you get into all of these situations like that where you get this tremendous amount of brain power devoted to one or two clubs or to altering this or that to you know make sure that player a or player b is is happy with their setup and you know, they're drawing the ball, they're fading the ball, they're all these different things. And it's so funny because what they're doing is they're, you know, they're, they're taking their eye off of their main focus and they always have better clubs, better players clubs in, in the arsenal, but then they have to go the step further and really get idiosyncratic about specific design details for their star players to keep them happy so that they will perform and then you know someone will go out and um you know buy a set of callaway irons because you know fratelli wins type thing and it's just it's an interesting uh dynamic that i've seen many times in research and development um uh centers of of these oems is you know 90 percent of their focus is to build you know, a club that hits it higher, longer, straighter for the average guy. But they also are really, really attentive to the tour player because they want to make sure that they're happy and performing well because they know that moves the needle on sales. Oh, 100%. Those marquee players get a lot of eyes on them. And all those eyes want to know what's in that bag for that marquee player. Mm Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I think the manufacturers probably don't want them to know if it's a prototype. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you have you know, to have a $20,000 set of iron. Yeah, right. The follow-up question is always, why can't I get that? Yep, I want you that. Know, why can't I have yeah, that? Yeah, I, wa- I want that. Why can't I have that? That raw, those raw iron heads. You had so like, many well, of those. It, it's not so much anymore, but 
I mean, kind of in that arms race of late 90s to early mid 2000s, where they were slapping a basically a mass produced retail badge on just about every prototype out there. So people thought that, hey, this is what this player is playing, even though it might be something just completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of one of my interesting stories that I read that that it, you know in the same vein, Jonathan, but on the opposite of that is the Daniel Berger story about the fact that he's playing the TaylorMade Tour preferred MC irons from 2011. <coughs> those those things. Well, he was he had rever- because he can't get them anymore. Gene, he had to he had to you know, resort to going on eBay and like we did a story a year or so ago and after it happened, people were reaching out to him on social saying, hey, like, hey, I've, I've got some irons for you. I know he's actually picked up a set off a guy that yeah. he was corresponding with. That. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, well, there's it, also it, it, there's it, also another fun story. I, I won't I won't spill it because I'm going to write it first, but there's another guy that's doing something very similar to that that I found out about this week that blew my mind. That's, that's almost, almost better than, than the burger story. Oh. Well, and it, it, it shows you a lot of these guys, you know, once they get their swing groove, once they trust their equipment, they're so nervous to change because change brings uncertainty and they've been spending years and years and years, you know, and, and, and some guys are different than others. I mean, <coughs> some guys like, you know, Bryson's always looking for the, next thing and he's always pushing the envelope and he's willing to try anything to see if there's a performance advantage. a lot of guys are loath to do that because they are so scared that it's going to screw up their swing mechanics that you know so they just stay with the tried and true but i'm sure those are the ones that just make the oems nuts too because you know they're um you know they're just not playing with the current stuff yeah anyway well i don't think you're going to be seeing a four thousand dollar Apex TCB sandwich at your at your local uh, big box retailer or at True Spec. I, I I just I think you're maybe probably next just going to see it on tour. Maybe, maybe just a guess. I think it's just going to stay a tour only thing. All right. Maybe maybe not. Um, other things that caught my eye this week that I wanted to to let you guys know about the Dynamic Gold Tour issue. Super popular shaft out on tour. You know, for a while, you could only get the the standard dynamic gold, and then they started releasing the like tour issue <coughs> out to the masses a bit more. Is Chris what what is like the difference between other than just the weight? Is there is there any difference between the the like quote unquote retail version of dynamic gold and the tour issue version? I mean, tolerances maybe. I mean, essentially, yeah, it's they get weight sorted, the tolerances are tighter. Yeah. But I mean, even yeah. when we go through and do SST peering with them, the where the label is after they're peered versus just a traditional label down build, I mean, they're still uh, kind of all over the place. Yeah. But so they they've been trying to just with with this introduction of low spin golf balls that we've been seeing out on tour now, you know, pros want as they were telling me, pros want that high launch, low spin with the drivers, but they don't necessarily want high launch, low spin with the irons. And right. so they're they're constantly trying to kind of figure out like, well, how do you get the best recipe for every club in the bag? And I know a lot of the ball manufacturers are trying to work on it, but the shaft manufacturers are as well. And one of the things that True Temper did was they came out with 
a new True Temper Dynamic Gold Tour Issue Mid. Now, this is only available. They, they said that they only have 50 pieces of this shaft, so it's super limited. It's, you know, they're saying maybe if there's some traction and guys start playing and it does well, maybe you see it down maybe the back end of the year um, at retail, but they, they weren't willing to, to, you know, say one way or the other. But what they were able to do, and I think this is kind of cool, and maybe it's just because I'm a giant gear nerd, but... You know, one of the ways that they've been able to do it in the past to get that high launch is to strip weight off the shaft. Now, we've seen that with the True Temper with the Elevate Tour, um, but they said that one of the things that always kind of held Elevate Tour back on on Tour was the fact that it was lighter. So, you know, you're going from like 130 grams in the X1s to like 120 in the Elevate Tour, and Tour Pros are like, eh, it's too light for me. No thanks. So now they're able to basically making some modifications. So they, they reinforce the midsection and by doing so on this shaft, they were able to activate the tip section a bit more on this shaft, but still keep it at 130 grams. So they said that with this new mid, you're going to be able to get an extra 10 to 15 feet of additional peak height with this mid shaft. So it's going to launch high. You're going to be able to get some spin out of it, but you don't have to change weights. So they're kind of hoping that because guys have been already looking for this, it's, it's a you know tour feedback design product. They're hoping that they're going to see some guys in this new mid. But I think it's an interesting design. And again, Dynamic Gold has been such a popular shaft on tour for for eons that it, it to me it almost feels like it's it's an obvious one. It's, <clears throat> it's going to do well. I think we'll see some guys in it when uh, as the season goes on. That's a shaft I would. Absolutely love to test. I was just about to say, I think that shaft is right in somebody's wheelhouse. Yeah, I I love heavier weight product. I love the extra stability of it. But as somebody that just doesn't hit it high, it's it's always a struggle. And coincidentally, I'm playing Elevate Tour currently. So having an opportunity to still maintain a, a profile like that that's designed to hit it high, help with a little bit of spin, but put it back up into that X1, S4 weight category that I loved for years. I, yeah, that's that would be home run. So anybody from True Sports out there listening, if you need a, uh, a tester, more than willing to yeah, volunteer. There we go. I think, I think we got a guy who's, who's a willing guinea pig. Um, other, other ones that kind of caught my attention, uh, Pat Perez took a little bit of, of you know, advice from Bryson and put in LAGP iron shafts. And, you know, it just kind of got me thinking. I mean, Perez said that he like launch, it was launching in a better window. Spin numbers were consistent. He just felt like the overall dispersion was, was great. And I asked him, I was like, how, how do you test these things? And he's like, I played, I played uh, a thousand holes. And I thought he was just like throwing out a number. Just kind of, and I was like, like, well, how many holes did you, he's like a thousand holes, but a thousand holes. And, they were good. So, have you, Gene? Have you done any like testing with with iron shafts, like the the graphite products versus steel, to see how how they stack up? You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, number one, graphite's come a long way. Uh, long graphite long way. used to be used to be in iron shafts that it was, uh, you know kind of especially amongst elite players that it, it just felt mushy it didn't give the feedback it didn't have 
the same bend profile, so the you know the delivery and how the head was presented and impact. But now uh, everything that we've seen from a testing standpoint is that composites can do just exactly what steel can as far as delivery is concerned. And I think, especially with players swinging faster, um, and I, I this is more anecdotal. I don't know if there's any pure research out there, but it's intu- it makes intuitive sense. Uh, composites absorb more energy. So <laughs> take, for example, Pat's comment, he played a thousand holes. Well, that's a thousand beatings on your elbows, on your yeah, joints. Exactly. And if that composite's absorbing that energy a little bit better than steel, that's maybe adding a month or so more to your career, six months or a year, or two years. So there's a lot to be said for composites from a um, injury standpoint. And from a performance standpoint, you can pretty much do with composites now what you could do with steel. Yeah. Which which wasn't the case which wasn't the case five seven years ago. Yeah, just always every time I tested graphite and irons, up until probably I tested UST recoil and the Aerotech products, and that was the first time where I didn't see any any outliers when you when you're hitting, and it's all of a sudden you get one of those jumpers where it's like, whoa, that one went, and it's like, okay, I didn't hit it. I didn't hit it any differently than the last one. They were, they were consistent strikes. Numbers were just just a little bit different to where you're like, eh, I don't. I think I'll stick with my steel. But yeah, I've I've t- I've tested I've tested some of the newer products, and the numbers have been far more consistent. And, and like you said, I mean, I've I shattered my left elbow playing basketball when I was in high school, and so I've got even b- before I hit forty, like I already am starting to feel my elbow. Like I got to pop if I'm going to go play thirty six in a day. I'm, I'm popping Advil at the turn probably late in the day just to make sure that I'm not going to have some serious pain the next morning. And I'm, go- I'm already back to the point where I'm thinking I probably should just find a graphite product that I really like. I I'm still stuck on, I'm a creature habit. I'm still stuck on steel. It's, it's my, it's my go-to, but there, there are so many good graphite products. I probably should be making the switch. Check out the MMT. MMT is another one that's been great, gaining some traction over the last couple of years. Abe answer. That was the, that was like really the first time that I remember seeing MMT in a pros bag. I mean, he's. Oh, he didn't Ricky uh, Ricky do some experimenting with the MMT when it first kind of came out? Yeah, Ricky did as well. I mean, there there have been some guys that have that have you know either used it or tested it. But yeah, again, product's good. It's going to give you a lot more longevity, especially if you're an older golfer. The unwanted vibrations. I mean, man, you can actually go out and pound balls. That's what a lot of pros that use them say. They can go practice for longer periods simply because they don't have that wear and tear that comes with, you know, a long range session or going to play nine or 18 and then going to hit balls afterward. You don't, you don't feel as tired. So a lot of benefits. Um, yeah, how long, all right. How long has Kuchar played Aerotech? Geez. Hey, I mean, he, and, he and Sneds, he and Sneds both have, I mean, that's. Those for, guys have played steel fibers for years and years over a decade now i would i would say that they've that they've had those in the bag and they both they both put them in around the same time which is so funny usually when one guy when one of those guys switches gear the other one does as well which i always find to be pretty amusing all right this this next topic is it really depresses me and 
only because I know that I'll never hit these numbers with, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm hitting these numbers with my driver if I'm catching one. So I saw Cameron champ this week and he had a couple of new ping I five twenty five prototype irons in the bag. He's, he had a I five twenty five prototype three iron and a four iron. And so I went over and talked to Ket Notes from from Ping. He's one of the two reps for Ping, and I asked him like, "Hey, saw Cam with the irons. What's going on?" And and Ken proceeds to give me the rundown on this product. And he's like, yeah, you know, for a week like this, meaning a week at Tory with the, you know, cooler, heavier air that you're going to get off the Pacific, you know, guys aren't going to be carrying it as far. And he's like, so for Cam, for his three iron, he's probably going to be carrying it, you know, maybe just over 260 this week. And I was like, excuse me, like 263 iron? And he's like, yeah, but I mean, when he gets to Phoenix, he, I mean, he's going to be like, you throw it on a tee, it's like 290, no problem. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went back and I actually posted some numbers last year of Cam Champ's three iron. And the numbers just don't seem real. So this was, this was back at Caves Valley during the BMW. These are the numbers with the three iron. Club head speed, 117. Ball speed, 176 and a half. Launching it at seven with a three iron. 29.41 spin. Face to path was two degrees. Swing direction was minus 8.7. It all adds up to a 292-yard carry. 316 total. Those numbers are with a three iron. They are stupid. And here's the craziest thing. That was with the I-500 that he had previously. Kenton told me that with the new I-525, Cam's actually gained close to two miles an hour of ball speed, which means that he's getting dangerously close to touching 180 miles an hour ball speed with a three iron, which means that he's really getting close to 300 yards of carry with a three iron. That is depressing, wow. guys. I, like super depressing. I I just I can't believe it. But those the I five hundred was a super hot iron. I mean, it was the miraging steel face. It was a hollow cavity. Um, that the thing flew. I mean, Gene, did you you? I mean, you've tested you've tested I five hundred. The where where was it? Kind of oh, yeah. in the like player distance well, category. It, it was it was you know it was a strong performer. Now now granted, like say take the three iron and I don't know what cams three iron was, but it is two degrees stronger than, you know, a lot of the other, uh, ping offerings for, for a three iron. So it's 18 versus 20, but you know, that doesn't, that's just, that's a, that's just a small sidebar to the, uh, freak show that is, that, that is cam because, you know, at the end of the day, the, the thing that the thing that blows me away about this more than anything else is number one, m- being minus eight point seven. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but that's putting you almost to like your big toe on your right foot where the ball is, right? To get that, I mean, I mean, obviously you can get it a couple different ways, but just ball position alone to get negative eight point seven. That's it, it's steep, no matter where you have it. I mean, 
if you're looking at, you know, two to four degrees would be, let's call it an optimum window. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So when you're more than double, I would say yes. that's, uh, that's probably a little excessive comparatively speaking. And, and the, the insane part about it is your negative 8.7, let's just call it nine degrees. Um, He's only spinning at 2,900. Now, granted, a lot of that's because he's launching it at seven degrees, but still, just that club head speed alone, uh, you'd think would generate a lot more spin, especially. So, I don't know, um, you know, in his case, the, you know, if there's something about the CG of that iron that, that allows that, because, you know, if he spins that at 4,000, He's twenty yards shorter, thirty yards shorter. I mean, just the ball's going to balloon on him. But he's right. he's 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 driving that ball out like a driver. It's going out with a more of a boring trajectory. I guarantee you that ball is barely flaring at all as it comes down, and that's just. I mean, that's just yeah. I, I I'm with you, Jonathan. It's just depressing. It, <laughs> it most just, certainly no, is depressing. Yeah, no two Seven ways degrees. Seven degrees of launch, Seven nine degrees launch, down yeah. on it, 3,000 RPMs. Is, I mean, I will say I-500, absolute rocket ship. And yeah. it was a lower spinning head And when yeah. you compared it to some of the other irons in that category. Uh, I-525, little different beast, no less of a rocket ship by any means. Doesn't surprise me. He picked up you know, a few more miles an hour of ball speed. Uh, man, I mean, 300 yards of carry with a three iron is just very emasculated. I'll say that. Amen to that. That's, that is very true. Some of the things, because we don't know a whole lot about I-525, um, you know, it, we're, I'm just kind of guessing a little bit at this point, but it's it's probably going to replace I-500. I think if, it, if Cam had the I-500s in, now he has I-525, and he was playing the three and the four in the I-500 before, we can safely assume it's going to be a replacement for I-500. That iron's been out for a little while. It was it was due for, for an update. <coughs> but the interesting things, and I don't know if you guys heard this when you tested, but I-500 to me, just because it was a hollow cavity product and it had that miraging steel face, it was loud. It was. Like very, very loud. I had it I had it in a three iron that I used for a while. And it it's it's got a really blady look to it. Very, very little offset, but man, it as, as you said, it's it's a rocket ship. It goes, but it is very loud. And I think a lot of that had to do with the cavity. And one of the things that, that KO pointed out was that Cam really liked the look. He said the look on I-525 was actually a little bit cleaner with less offset. And I'm like, man, the offset was actually pretty pretty reduced it's pretty minimal on, already I, yeah yeah it was very very minimal and the other thing that he noticed was he said that it was it sounded a lot more muted which i think maybe golfers out there that didn't like the louder sound on i500 are probably going to enjoy hearing and he said that it actually started to sound as he was hitting it he said that the cam started to say that the sound was more like eye blade ish for him oh okay so maybe mm. getting like I mean, but it, the fact that he was already hitting it that far and now he's getting close to two extra miles an hour ball speed, but he's getting better sound. I think Ping's got something going on inside that cavity. That's, 
you know, helping dampen the sound a little bit or something. I mean, if, if it's sounding more muted and it's sounding like an eye blade, that's, that, that's where my mind goes to is there's got to be something going on inside that cavity. If it's, if it's anything like eye blade, I mean, it's going to have an immediate following and demand for it. I mean, that iron has been so good for so long and has, I mean, almost a loyalist type of following with that iron. I have competitive players that, I mean, they just don't want anything else. They'll come in to see me and we'll, you know, we'll tweak lofts, we'll tweak Ys and bump those things around a little bit. But it's just, yeah, build me another set of eye blades, build me another set of eye blades. And they don't want to have anything to do with anything else. Yeah, I know. It's it, it, it's a good one, but I, I think a lot of golfers that did play I-500 or maybe they were on the fence about it, but maybe it was a little bit too loud. I, I think they're going to they're gonna enjoy what, what Cam's you know, experiencing with, with this 525 product. So, um, I don't think they're going to see close to 300 yards of carry, but you know, maybe they'll see a little more You never know. Maybe they'll see a little more Okay. Well, so I was poking around in some bags on the range and two things that really stuck out to me this week. One, Hideki had one putter in the bag, which was a little, a little shocking to me. I know yeah. he's been playing well. He won the Masters with the with the Newport Two GSS, and yeah, I get it. You know, he he won in his he won the Zozo in his in his home country. I get it, You're, you, but he's it's Hideki. You know, the guy won at Bridgestone years ago with a tailor made putter. He shot a he shot a tournament record in the following week. He switched putters. So this guy this guy does not play favorites. But I was shocked to see. Hideki with one putter and not, you know, seven or eight. The other one was Dustin Johnson. So this is DJ's first event of the season. And he shows up and, you know, again, he's been testing the product. I watched him test the the new tailor-made stealth. He's in the, the stealth plus, but he had three drivers in the bag at one point. Um, all with, with LAGP shafts. I know he's got a relationship with LAGP. And, you know, he's got a whole bunch of wedges. I saw a hybrid in there, a couple of high uh, 3HL, the higher launching three woods, but not in the, not in the tie product, actually in the stealth. He's actually in, he's actually in the non-tie product for the, for the fairways. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of po- poking through the bag and uh, DJ walks up and I asked him a little bit about the driver. Cause you know, that's the obvious one that everybody's interested in is, you know, how's the driver going? kind of transitioning here into our usual deep dive that we started last week into to robotic testing for a lot of these new driver products and then getting some insights from Chris. But I asked DJ, I said, Hey, like, what are you seeing? What's, what's, what's been kind of the early, the early takes on, on stealth. And he said, you know, for me, I'm just getting like more consistent ball speeds across the entire face. And I, I kind of smiled a little bit because you know, we've already tested these drivers. Granted, we're not testing them at, you know, Dustin Johnson's speed, who's, you know, smoothing it with 180, you know, 180 ball speed. But, you know, we saw something similar, Gene, didn't we, with with the TaylorMade Stealth product? I mean, this is a completely different product from TaylorMade. They, they as, as they talked about when we went to TaylorMade HQ, they said we're sunsetting titanium. We're going to a new 60-layer, you know, carbon twist face this is what we're going with. We're not going to go, Oh man, this didn't work. We're going back to titanium. Like we are a carbon wood company. And so it always made me wonder when they told me that, like, well, how's it going to sound? How's it going to feel? How's it going to perform? And I mean, so far the numbers that we saw were, were pretty strong. Would you agree? Well, 
absolutely. And a little historical background, you know, Yonix came out with a fully carbon head in the 90s that was, had you one. know, and Callaway had one. C4. And this is, this was, you know, this was before there was any discussions of COR, uh, trampoline effect or anything like that. And in my simplistic world at the time, because I didn't have a lot of launch monitors, I had just gauges that would measure club head speed and ball speed. And one of the things we always noticed about the carbon heads was they were always shorter. And when we look at them, the ball speed was always less. And so one of the, you know, kind of knocks was um, you can design a carbon head so that you have a lot of uh, um, a discretionary weight that you can put around the head so that we hit it on the high toe or the low heel. It performs really well when you're in the center, it just doesn't go anywhere. Well, uh, because of that, carbon kind of went away and then it came back in the form of bodies of clubs, but not necessarily the face or, you know, the soul of the club. And by TaylorMade coming to uh, a design kind of uh, uh, peak of pure carbon, I, I was really, really interested to see how this was going to perform. And the bottom line will jump to the header um it performed and what it did more than anything else you know back to our testing we test on nine points on the face and then we take an average of all of those nine points and that gives you over about 95 percent surface area to let you know when you miss anywhere on the face this is what the performance is going to be and for the uh, stealth products they averaged approximately two miles an hour faster than the Sim 2 on all of those nine point average. Now, on the geometric center, because the USGA limits that, ball speed was very, very similar. But when you took the average of ball speeds, all nine points, you got almost two miles an hour greater ball speed out of the stealth than the Sim 2. That's, that's pretty significant. It's huge for, for a club that was introduced last year you know it's it's not it's not like TaylorMade goes by and you know in every other year cadence like ping and in titleist normally do so to get two miles an hour more ball speed on all the on all eight points on average i mean that's that's a that's a significant number but what i find funny is you know golfers golfers are hit will hit one driver and they'll hit the next and in this case you know stealth versus him too and they're going well it's not that fast out of the center and it's like well how often do you actually hit it out of the center or you're you're not out you're not adam you're not adam scott you're not you're not hitting it right out of the middle it's you're you're constantly hitting it off the heel and the toe and like Tiger Woods used to call it. You're you're playing army golf on the face of this driver. You're going left, right, left, right. You're you're getting you're getting your money's worth. So be more concerned with with those types of ball speed numbers more than than out of the dead center. Because like you said, Gene, I mean you you can only you can only get it so fast out of the middle. You you got to really right. work and, on and, on the and, other performance. And out of the and in and in their defense, out of the middle, it performed just as well as the sim too. I mean, it was very, very similar. But the other, the other aspects that I thought were really interesting. <coughs> excuse me. Um, the first was uh, the forgiveness uh, factor of what I'm going to call the the stealth family. Um, 
the HD was the most forgiving, followed by the stealth, followed by then the plus. And what we saw within that was um, the um, stealth, the HD and the stealth had really forgiving and minimal distance drop off on center and upper center hits. So the, the midsection and the upper section, the club face, uh, just had exceptional drop off in distance. So they've not only done some really interesting things with uh, ball speed so that you hit it further, but the drop off in distance because of the discretionary weight that they have, because composites lighter than titanium, they've been able to do some interesting things with um, drop off in distance as well. And to touch on that, Gene, I mean, you're saving. TaylorMade says 40% of weight compared to the equivalent titanium face. So if we're transitioning into that 60X carbon twist face that's in the Stealth family and saving 40% of the weight, that frees up more discretionary weight that they can then reposition around the rest of the driver to help boost MOI as well. Absolutely. So, 100%. Yeah, and, and a, lot that, a lot of that, a lot of discretionary weight that we saw in this driver you know, Gene talked about the the very original carbon faces that we saw from from Yonix and also from Callaway. You know, those those didn't have any sound. They sounded they yeah. sounded dead and they didn't yeah. go anywhere. And you know, one of the things that TaylorMade said is look, you, you can only you can only con- kind of improve the the efficiency of, of the energy transfer going from club face to ball. And so one of the ways to do that is the, the more weight you can get behind that face that's transferring into the golf ball at impact, the, the faster you can make this driver while still maintaining a legal product. And that's where they kind of took a lot of that discretionary weight is they position it back behind the golf ball. So when you do hit it, that's why it is faster is, is because there's more mass behind it. So when it's, when you're transferring and you're, you're, you know, ball face hitting club, you're getting a lot more weight moving through. And again, it's very efficient. They've, they've, you know, carbon faces nowadays are, are way more, I mean, from a tolerance standpoint, a whole lot better than they were from the originals. You know, the carbon fiber <coughs> is, is a lot better and, you know, 60 layers, it, you know, they're just, they're just doing things that you just couldn't do back then. So that's, that's where you get a lot of that. You're right. Forgiveness, but it is also a lot of that weight is going in there to help with that energy transfer and impact. And, and the other thing that I'll say about the family that was interesting, you know, when I was parsing through the data is um, like Callaway, they've done a really nice job of separating spin based on family. What I mean by that is the Stealth Plus models were the lowest spinning. Uh, the Stealth models were kind of the mid. And then the HD had some of the higher spinning models, which is what you, tend, you generally see with the draw products and trying to get the ball in the air and, and hit it to the left. But uh, if you're just, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, if you're just a tailor-made guy, you've got, or gal, you've got some good selections here to choose from, from a spin standpoint as well. So they, um, they did a good job overall with their entire family of being able to offer options to a variety of different types of players. Yeah. As you mentioned, lots, lots of good options. You've got the, the stealth, which is, 
your, you know, the more forgiving product in the lineup. You have the Stealth Plus, which has the weight track that you can adjust. And then you have the HD, which is your draw bias product if you if you struggle with a slice. Chris, what did you see from from testing? I you you were you were one of my guinea pigs for this product. I, I had you test it. What did you what did you think specifically? I'll, I'll I'll ask you about like sound and feel because I know that's something that a lot of golfers <coughs> were pretty skeptical about when they saw that red face on the new Stealth product. There was, and I mean about the red face. There's there's already been a lot of blowback on social media talking about the red face. And I mean, at address, the contrast of the red versus the matte black crown, I like the contrast. I like how it framed the ball. I like how it sets up. And acoustically, I mean, everybody's feel is individualized and personal. But for me, the acoustics were, were really good. And I mean, through testing, I have not had a lot of success being able to consistently play a tailor-made driver since they transitioned into twist face. Being a low-launch, low-spin player... I mean, I come from the inside, I hit up on the ball, and my miss is typically towards the high toe, which, I mean, on paper, twist face should be the perfect driver for me. But I have been yeah. just very, very low spin. Uh, transitioning into stealth product and doing some testing with it, I actually saw a little bit more spin than what I had seen in previous TaylorMade models, which for me was a pleasant surprise. And the acoustics were great. I picked up ball speed. I did pick up a little bit of carry yardage. I picked up about six yards in the air comparative to what I saw when I did hit Sim and Sim too well. And I, I was I was pleasantly surprised with it. The the nano texture on the face was very unique. Uh, I mean, it doesn't feel like any type of driver face I've ever felt before. So I was kind of looking for a sticker to peel off as it almost has a yeah. kind of a waxy it, feel it, it to does, it. It does have that look and feel, doesn't it? That's, that's, the, poly, that's the polyurethane that they use to, to yes, coat it, the, the 60 layers of carbon fiber. Yeah, but I agree. I was looking for the same thing. When they when they even showed it to me in the initial kind of you know rundown on product, it was like, now, are you just highlighting it, it like the red to show that it's different? And they're like, no, it's, it's red. It's, but as, it. as you mentioned, that yeah, it. it's, it, I know I get it. Some golfers are going to be turned off by the color, but thankfully there is the, the new My Stealth program that's going to give you mm -hmm. a whole bunch of different options in different colors for the face. I even think there's like a gray option. I don't, I didn't see a black one, which I kind of thought would have been cool if you would have had like black on black on black and you could just murder it out. But so I want to go there's, blue yeah, and white. Yeah. I want to go okay. blue and you white. You know, it's 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 interesting. The the one thing I'll say about TaylorMade, you know, historically, they don't have a lot of fear as a company. They're, they do not. They're you know, <laughs> I mean, and and I, I can tell you this: thirty two years in the business, a lot of OEMs are risk averse. And the reason is because you don't want to end up with a product like we talked about, some of these earlier composite products that didn't work and tailor-made. That's just not in their DNA. It's like, we're going to paint the head white. We're going to make a bubble shaft. We're going to, I mean, I could just go on and on. And on. We're going to, they've always, they've always it. played offense. They've never played defense in, yes. in this, yes. in this industry. I, I would 100% yes. agree that, that they they're and, always trying to disrupt. And I'd say their batting average is pretty high overall, it is. which is really yeah. impressive for being they that aggressive. 
some think game about changer like, tech. Think about like Rocket Balls. You know, I mean, a lot yeah. of their a lot of their claims with some of these products. I mean, again, Rocket Balls, their distance claims that they were making yeah, were sixteen yards were longer. I remember absurd, but they, it was they lived <laughs> up to the hype. So no, I I agree. I think their batting average on on you know outside the box designs is is very high. And and again, they've always played offense. They've never played defense in this industry. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've been so successful. And I think that's why you're going to see Stealth be so successful. You know, one of the things that really stuck out to me about Stealth was, you know, the tour pros that are seeing, you know, two, three, four miles an hour ball speed increase. You know, you just don't see that with tour pros because they they are so dialed in with their drivers. But when you hear a guy picking up two or three miles an hour ball speed, you're thinking, all right, well, that's got to be the product. It can't just be, you know, mag- it's not, you know, it's not magic beans. Like the, the technology really works. And, you know, it's something they've been working on for 20 years. Yeah. And, and, you know, they kind of kept going back and forth. I remember Glory Reserve, which was an Asia only release. That was, that was a, a carbon face they'd come out with as they were trying to kind of figure out like how viable is carbon as a, as a future for the company. And, you know, now you've got it in stealth. So they, it's not like they just kind of threw it all together at the last second. This, this has been fully vetted and now we're seeing it out on tour with guys gaining that ball speed. And I'm hearing some pretty crazy numbers from, from golfers, just regular golfers that have been testing it. So it, it is the, the face technology that they have on this new driver is legitimate. And as Gene said, being able to pick up two miles an hour across all the, all eight points minus, you know, not including center. I mean, that's, that's some serious distance right there. And it's been, it was really consistent. Kind of like DJ said, consistent ball speeds and on all spots on the face. So it's, it's going to be one of the most talked about products, rightfully so, because of the face technology. But I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot of success from them out on tour with that product as well. Jay Wall, I know you, uh, I know you saw the video of DJ testing Stealth Plus with uh, a 330 yard carry on yeah. that driver at San Diego, and the Foresight quad sitting right there. They zoom in on the LCD screen. And a little over 1,800 RPM suspend, 3:30 in the air. Thanks for playing. Yeah, wow. 1,800s a little. Is it like kind of scary low? I mean, you, you don't you don't want to go go too much lower than that. No, but, and that's you know he is he's, he's using the stealth product. Yeah, he's he's using the stealth. He's using the plus product, which was the lower spinning. But um, yeah, we've seen I've, the 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 plus. I kind of figured what is going to be the tour product, and that's the one we've seen from a lot of the pros. Um, Rory McIlroy actually switched to it last week, and he was saying that one of the things that he liked about it was he's he's able, and he said that one of his goals for this year was to hit sixty percent of his fairways at his speeds. Good luck, but he was he was talking about just being able to work the ball a lot more with with the Stealth product, and he was seeing a really consistent spins. So you know no, nothing nothing that was getting a little too high for him that made him uncomfortable, and we saw a lot of it. I know it was I know it was the winds were blowing pretty hard there last week when he's in the desert, but I mean, he was still working the ball both directions. And typically last year, his, his, you know, go-to was a fade off the tee. So he's, he's able to go both directions, which I always kind of find interesting. I'm trying to do a little bit more digging into, into that story to see, you know, how much more movement is he getting? But, you know, from everything that I heard from TaylorMade was, it's just, he's able to work it a lot more when he likes that. So kind of trying to be like Tiger. I mean, Tiger was great at working the ball. He was an artist 
you do it with any club in the bag. And, and Rory actually pointed to Tiger as one of the guys. He's like, Hey, Tiger did it. He had those, you know, fairway finders and he could, he could get the fair, you know, get the ball in the fairway when he needed to. And that's what I'm going for. I'm going to try and hit more fairways and position myself to have more chances to attack the green. But anyway, bottom line, stealth's, you know, it performed well in robot. Chris saw a lot of great things. I haven't had a chance to really get down and test it because I haven't gotten a lefty head. You know, I got Come on, man. the even like the 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 presentation box they sent me had a righty head in it. And I'm just like, come on, man. Come on, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna come on, man. I'm gonna get one, but it it's it's I, gonna I might know a guy, Jay Wall. I can I can connect you. <laughs> I might know a guy. Yeah, I I, I was gonna say maybe, maybe I won't go through Taylor Maybe I'll go through a buddy of mine that I know. Um, I got a guy. Anyway, yeah, but go check it out. It's a new stealth product. It's it's going to be coming out here pretty soon, and and I know a lot of golfers are already clamoring for it. I've seen some of that product already starting to to trickle out there on uh, you know eBay and some of these sites. I always like to see like what are people paying to get product you know a month in advance. Somebody paid like fifteen hundred bucks for a for a stealth driver. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, I mean that. That must meet like somebody with disposable income who wants it now, who does not want to wait. Yeah, does not care. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've got a great interview for this week. While I was out at tour, I had a chance to to interview a couple of my favorite guys. One of them being Aaron Dill. Aaron is the wedge rep for Vokey. He works. He's I mean he's Vokes right hand man. I love AD. The uh, title Vokey SM nine is now out on tour. It's been out since Century already getting some wins with it. It's it's already become the Vokey's most played wedge. Had a chance to talk to AD about the new wedge, a little bit about, you know, kind of where he gets his passion for designing wedges, um, a little bit more about his background. It was a really fun, like, free-flowing interview. Great chance to just chat with him at a Tory. Enjoy it. All right, well, I've been chasing this guy for at least a couple of days now because he's so busy. AD, thanks for joining the Fully Quit Podcast. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. All right. You, you're probably the busiest man this week, at least the last couple of weeks. What What is a typical day like for you during a tour release? Because SM9 just came out on the mainland last weekend, Palm Springs. Yeah. So these are uh, these are challenging times. You know, you're having to do your normal job, but then on top of that, you're doing the, the big launch stuff, which is preparing for everybody in the field and then some. I, I think there's a lot of excitement around a launch. I think players are really excited that you know they that you got new stuff and they want to try it and they want to experience it but those guys talk to their buddies too so you know you're having to deal with both of those ends and then on top of that your normal job of just making sure the guys are prepared for the week is 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 there as well but i've been lucky i've had kevin here and uh bob vokey here to help me Vokes out here and, i and saw him it's it's been great because it's i've been able to delegate a little bit you know but Vok will tell you he's like he goes i'm the highest paid club runner in golf you know <laughs> so it's, like, it's fun just to run him around a little bit and and, and get him involved what has the the early feedback? I know this is the second week we're here at Tory, second week that SM9's been on tour in the mainland. I know that it was it was launched over in Hawaii, but what's what's early feedback been? Has it exceeded the expectations that you and Vogue had for SM9 coming out on tour? Yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, I'm always nervous going into these launches because I don't I have a good idea of what I think players will say just based on what we've learned through tour and, and, and just feedback through the last two or three years of testing. Um, but I get nervous during these times because I'm hoping that they'll love it. And so preparation, you know, is, is key for us, understanding what players want, not only in the visuals, but but in their specs, just making sure that stuff is right. Uh, we launched at the Tournament of Champions, so that was some early seeding in late December. And I talked to the guys and everybody's like, this stuff looks awesome. 
you know it's it's really what i'd hoped it looked like um and performance wise it's really good it's flighting through the lower windows i'm getting lots of lots of good spin around the greens it's you know it's, i think it's everything that players are really hoping for in a wedge um which is really what we were focusing on the last two to three years was making sure that we could flight the ball better and get some spin what what's the like late time of the year i know you know we as golf fans go all right late you know november december guys are starting to shut it down but it's got to be a pretty busy time of the year for you. I mean, are you going around and working with guys, kind of getting them fit into the new wedges? Like, how how busy are you kind of leading up into into January? We are slammed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the holidays are a funny time because I think everybody feels like, you know what, things are going to slow down. There's not a lot of tour golf right. going on. You know, I get to spend some time with the kids or the family, whatever. Um, and that was always the goal. But going into a launch, you know, there's there's a lot of work that takes place. So I'm in the office a lot. We have players coming out to TPI and Oceanside to to test and um, and work with us there. And then you know our offsite adventures where Jage and I will fly out to Florida work with Justin Thomas and um, you know so it's it's always it's always going. Um, and I think these golfers, you know, when you watch them, they they love the game so much that even though it's the holidays, they still want to work at it and they want to be ready for the for the New Year. So. Um, we had tons and tons of things to do in the office. We had work at TPI. We were traveling to meet with players, and um, so it just never ends. It's it's really fun. I know that you're out here constantly working with the guys, but what I don't think a lot of people realize is you have a, a really big part in the creation of of these wedges. How much more involved were you with the creation of SM9 versus SM8? Yeah, uh, you know Bob is Bob is the leader of our ship, and for sure, you know, and and. And I think our team, um, we all recognize, we respect that. But Bob is also at the same time really, really great about allowing us to all provide feedback. And me being out here on tour, you know, this is a, a great resource for that. So anytime something comes up, if it's uh, profile-wise, grind and soul-wise, spin-related, trajectory-related, I'm bringing that information in. And those are things that Bob listens to and he goes, you know what, I think that's something we need to look into. Um, and he's great about that. You know, I think... I think a lot of the the lines that we've done together over the years, um, he's given me little bits and pieces of, uh, and 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 I think that's the collaborative efforts of that have has made the product as good as it is. What is the one aspect of SM9 that you're the most proud of? Um, I I'm always really proud of the visual changes we make, not not necessarily graphics, but I think the profiles are are things that. Um, that I think are really important. I think as a golfer, you know, you you visually connect with a golf club. You set it down. The first thing you do is you look at it and you fall in love with it. And I think, um, you know, for us trying to make sure that they look perfect, not only in the shapes but in the offsets. Those are really really key things that um, that our players are speaking about right now. Is like, God, this is exactly what I'm what I'm looking for. You know, especially in the stronger loft. So um, I love the profile and the offset work we we did on these. And I also um, I really love the trajectory story that we're working on, which is just trying to help golfers figure out ways to flight it through the lower windows and pick up a little more spin. What you mentioned, kind of being able to flight it. What are guys out here on tour seeing as they're going through testing? I mean, how much lower on average are they? Are, I mean, are they seeing a significantly lower window? Is it still kind of where where they like to see it? What what's it looking like for the tour guys? Well, I think when guys talk about lower flighting windows, I, you, you you go down the range and you ask the best players in the world, "What do you want your flight to look like?" They're going to go, "I want it low." Right. You know, yeah. low, I mean, low flight is an indicator of hitting your carry numbers really well, um, getting tons and tons of spin, and keeping it below the elements. You know, if it's if it's blowing like it is here this week, you want to be able to control the ball, and that's really important. So, you know, the lower flighting windows 
are things we're focused on all the time. And I think a lot of guys would tell you that when they're hitting the ball great, it's through the same window they're used to seeing. And when they're not, more importantly, that's the flighting that they're hoping they're getting. So anytime you might swing it a little differently or you're you're in a, uh, a liar situation where debris or moisture might affect the spin of the ball, they're seeing that ball float or fly through the lower windows a little bit more often, which is which is good. So Voki has six grinds out of retail. I know there's an extensive. We array. got a lot. <laughs> you can you can do a lot of stuff with with a wedge head uh, out here. How knowledgeable are tour pros when it comes to to grinds? I mean, I, I think the reason I ask is like the average golfer. You kind of talk to them, say, "Hey, we have six grinds." They might not really understand like the benefits, but do tour pros? I mean, how much do you kind of have to walk them through? you know, the benefits of the grinds when you're maybe doing a, a testing session with a guy? Well, I try not to share too many of my secrets. I need I need to maintain, <laughs> make sure I have a job at the end of the day. <laughs> but um, but that's the one thing I love about this, about what I'm doing is that, um, you know, if I need something, if I feel like there's a golf course or a condition or a player swing type that requires a different grind, we're going to make it. You know, that's the fun part about my job is we, we just do that. We do it every day. Um, for the players... I think that players are becoming more and more knowledgeable. I think golf in general has become more of a um, uh, an education session for a lot of players. And, and you go through the bags out here, and you're going to see some guys who carry one lob wedge. Some guys will carry two, which is really common. And then I have a couple guys who carry up to four or five. And they'll just decide based on the venue that week which one feels the best. You know, For me, it's really about educating the players on how we can make difficult shots easier. And, uh, and sometimes that, that stems around a, a certain type of bouncer grind or even in some cases a loft adjustment. Um, and that's part of that connection with the players is educating them on which one is best for them. All right, so give me a little bit of behind the scenes. I want to know what does a Justin Thomas wedge session look like compared to a Jordan Spieth wedge session? Like how, how are they different? How are they similar in the way that they test wedges? Yeah, so I think the first three wedges are the first three lofts. So 46 um, through the sand wedge, those are the ones that really don't change all that much. The only time we'd ever think about changing those lofts would be if we were to go to an open championship or an Augusta National, you know, where things start to get crispy and firm. Then you might see a, a shift in those. Once you get in the lob wedge, that's the specialty club that I think players are focused on, is just making sure that they have the right grind and the right bounce for for them or the type of golf course, or maybe it's uh, you know a certain shot or a certain weakness. And so for them, as we're testing, you know, if, if I'm working with uh, with Jordan, he's really trying to focus again on trying to flight the ball. What kind of ground contact he's getting? Um, is he getting consistency in his flights and spin numbers? Those are things that I think he's focused on. He's really such a brilliant wedge player. And I think for, for a lot of guys as they watch him, you know, he takes kind of a big divot. And he plays a four-degree lob wedge. So, you know, as a fitter, your instinct is let's let's beef up the bounce a little bit and right. make those divots shallower. But the reality is, is you know, for him, it's it's so much about feel because he connects with the ball so well, um, and he can play less bounce. So that's how good he is at delivering the golf club. And and JT's the same way. JT, I think, focuses more on flighting. You know, making sure that he can get trajectory. Whenever we've spent time together at at his place in Florida, or when he comes out here with us. He talks a lot about making sure he hits those flight windows in the way that, that really matters to him. His eyeballs are down, you know, when that ball leaves the face. And if he sees it above that, you know, that's that's a cause for concern, and, and he starts asking some questions. Both guys are really good about letting me sort of uh, do what I think is in their best interest. You know, they trust me, and, um, you know, they trust Bob. And, and, and so when we're working together, they ask a lot of questions like, hey, what do you think? You know, so and, th and that really means a lot to me because I think a lot of guys could just tell you, 
just make me this, you know, make me a bicycle clown. <laughs> so, you know, and, and those guys are great about saying, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing. These are my issues. Um, what do you think we need to do? And we do it and we, we solve it. And it's it's not overly complicated. I think these guys want, um, they want the same thing that all golfers want. They just want really positive results more often. All right. So you are the wedge stamp maestro. <laughs> Nobody's better than you. I don't know. There's you're, a you're, lot of good ones Your Vokey Wedge Rep on Instagram. <laughs> it's one of my favorite accounts to follow. All right. So you do a lot of creative designs for guys. I want to know who who gives you like the most inspiration out here. What what I know that a lot of guys are like, hey, AD, man, like stamp this. You just like stamp it up for me. Like do just whatever. But who who kind of like gives you inspiration on wedges? That's hard. Um, everybody in their own little. I know you're looking for a certain guy, you know, the, or just the, a couple of guys. The, like. the reality is, is like, it's sort of in the moment, you know, like, uh, like, like Jordan before he went to the Ryder Cup, he was like, "Make me a wedge with an eagle on it," you know. <laughs> and I was like, "You've only stamped JS on your stuff." I was about to say he's forever. Like yeah, that's all you ever yeah. wanted. You no, know, he keeps it really simple, really clean. Uh, and and you know, Radar's been been Justin's stuff, and 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 you know, so, and those guys, they're good about saying, "Hey, you know, kind of stick to what we like." keep it simple but you know if you want to class it up you can we have some guys who are really not great at remembering when they need to replenish or change wedges and so we'll put what we call the born on date which i love i do too i think it's awesome i think like you know for for guys who are listening to this like they don't change their wedges all that much and um and so this is a great reminder of like okay if you had a wedge in january of this year like you know probably sometime around March, we need to start talking about this 60 degree. You know, I think it's really important that, you know, you, you have the spin you need in this loft. Um, so you'll see that you'll see stuff, you know, basketball related things, um, song lyrics, movie quotes, art, uh, you know, Nellie Corda lets me put lions on her stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I did a bunch of funny, um, home alone stuff for, for Jessica Corda. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you just go. And, and a lot of times I'll just ask them, I'll go, Hey, what's going on with your life? And they'll, they'll throw me a bunch of ideas and I'll just run with it. I want to know where where did you find your passion for wedges as you were as you were kind of growing up like when when did it kind of hit that it was like man I really really enjoy this and I want to I want to like do it as a as a full-time gig Yeah I've always loved golf. My dad introduced me to golf when I was young and that was our way to bond and connect and um my my wedge passion really didn't start until I got to know Bob. I mean I loved working with golf clubs. That was that was kind of where I was. I, I knew I was never going to be a pro. I knew I was never going to be, uh, you know, anything other than a, a club builder of some kind or a fitter. When I got working with Bob back in 2005, Bob was great. He said, come in the office. Let's work together. Meet the team. I'll, I'll, I'll criticize and, and tell you where, you where you made mistakes. I learned from that experience. Uh, but I love the fact that with wedges, you can just change things on the fly. You can do it all by hand. I mean, we're standing next to the two grinding wheels that I use every single day. And this is a way that I can shape and create something that, that fits an individual player. I love that part. I mean, it's not like a driver. It's, 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 it's all done by hand. It's, it's, um, it's, it's such a personal thing. And I love that touch. It's not just in the polishing, it's in the stamping. And that's really where I think I learned that, Hey, this is kind of the Avenue I want to go in. And I think that I can do some great work here. If, if, if I get the chance. Yeah. Where, which one of the players that you work with do you think could do a good job filling your shoes? Being a being a wedge designer, player wise. Player wise, I want to know like who 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 has like a good eye for oh, man for you know trailing edge and and just like kind of gets it. 
Man, that's that's a great question. I never even thought about that. If I had to hire somebody, yeah, if you had to hire one of these guys that you work with as as like a as an apprentice, man, you know, I would probably say I might hire somebody like Adam Scott. It's a good. It's a good answer. And the reason why is that Adam Adam has a really great eye at looking at at different things. He's got a unique eye in the sense that what his eyeball wants to see is very different than what our modern players want to see today. He likes round. He likes offset. Um, but I think he's really in tune with his equipment. You know, he really understands. And he picks up the little things that, that I think matter. I think people who, who look at golf clubs a lot like I do, they, they know what they're looking for. And they see the little things that I think make a difference, not only in what you're seeing as you set it down, but also, you know, when, when you turn it around, you look at the sole and you're like, okay, I, I have a feeling that this part's going to connect with the ground yeah. more than I want it to. I think he really gets that. Um, but then at the same time, I'd, I'd probably have to bring in somebody like like Justin as well because he's the other end of the spectrum, and I think I need both of those guys in here to, to kind of do both things. But It's almost like a mullet. Like You can need the business in the front, but you need a little bit of party in exactly. the back. Exactly. Maybe I know? need Cam Smith in here too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a good one right there. We'll bring him in too. But I think you know, as, as, as time has gone on, I think golf has become more accessible. Mm -hmm. and you know customization is more accessible and and guys have the ability to do all kinds of different stuff now and i think players are looking for that and i love that i love the fact that it's not just here it is it's now how do you want to make it yeah. let's make it yours yeah so i think regular golfers look at a tour pro and they're like man these guys are, are robots they they do everything perfect we're you know that pro and i have nothing alike but i'm curious what aspect of the way that a pro goes about testing the gear and building their setup, what is there an aspect that you could say, hey, look, you know, 15 handicapper, if you were to look at this aspect of the way that a tour pro goes about building their wedges or testing their wedges, this could help benefit your game. Yeah, I don't think I don't think um, the average player spends enough time investing in their games. Not not on equipment per se, it's just like let me buy everything. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think yeah. If you're going to make a purchase, make the right purchase, get a fitting, try some things. If you can't do that, you know, at least go out and hit some different clubs and, and figure out which ones look the best for you and try some different grinds. You know, especially in the wedge realm is there's so many different things. I mean, you look at these drawers behind me, there's 23 standard SKUs in our SM9 line and that just touches the basics. And then we have a prototype, you know, section where it's another 13 plus. Right. Try them all. Understand which ones are right for you. T you know, think about the carry numbers. Those are really important as well. You got to gap yourself out right, and then find grinds that match your your needs. You know, needs meaning where do you struggle? How do we make those struggles a little easier? Once you fix those things, you're going to grow in confidence, and you're going to just get better over time. So, I think a fitting is really the most important place to start. Favorite Vokey story that you can tell me without getting in trouble. Favorite Vokey story. Oh my gosh! I know Voke has a lot. Um, there's a, there's a lot of stories that he's told me that I could never tell in a, in a public setting. But. All right, here's here's a funny one. I was actually just thinking about this the other day. We were at uh, we were at a dinner party at this uh, friend's house in Las Vegas. He has this beautiful house. I mean, crazy. And at the bottom of the house, he's got this massive garage, and you could fit probably 15 or 20 cars in this thing. But he only has about four in there, and they kind of spread about. And Voke is an old-school classic car guy. He loves cars. He's got an old vet. I think it's like a 61 Corvette. It's beautiful. And uh, and he just loves old stuff, old cars. And we go down in this garage, and I'm looking at this Lamborghini, and I'm like, whoa, this thing is so cool. I'm like a little kid, you know? Yeah. And Voke's over on the other side of the, the garage, 
And he's looking at this old Mustang, and he's just, he's got his hand on his chin, and he's just admiring it. And I'm like, hey, Voke, you love that car over there? He's like, he's like, yeah, this thing is awesome. And he goes, he goes, did you know that this is one of four? Like, this is the, this, this is the only, uh, you know, this is the only car with four of this exact car. And I was just shocked by that. I was like, how did you know that? And I, and I looked over and I go, how'd you know that? I know you know cars, but how'd you, and he goes, that's right here, written on the side of the glass here. It's just on the <laughs> You know, he's just such uh, a he's, pretty matter of fact. Like, he really was like he, he was just reading a piece of paper. I didn't even yeah. know I didn't see. But, you know, he's just he's such a cool guy. You know, he's so down to earth. And, and you know, coming from somebody who grew up playing this game, playing his equipment and wanting to be a part of this brand. And now I'm here and I've been working for him for 15 years. I mean, he's just he's about as good as you could ever hope for. So I'm lucky. Is it surreal, though? You mentioned like growing up playing is his gear. Is it kind of surreal that you work for him and that you're yeah. now you're now the one who's in here building wedges with with Voke's name on them. Yeah, I was 19 or 20 years old and I had saved every penny I could to buy a Vokey wedge. You know, and I'm just like these are the best. Yeah. I love these. Two- <laughs> I had a 26008 25610. I'll never forget it. And uh when I got the call to come and interview for a, a, a you know, a job here at Titleist, um I met him and I couldn't believe it. I was starstruck. You know, I don't get starstruck very often, but yeah. That was a pretty cool moment for me, and then to have him ask me to come work for him on tour was was a pretty special thing, and those are those are memories I'll never forget. What was the first Vokey wedge that you like really had a hand in helping design? Yeah, that's a good question. I would probably say the first one that I ever really got involved in was probably one of his early K grinds, and at the time we had a player on our staff, and he um, he had been spending a lot of time with Tom Kite. And he came out to the tour one time, and I was kind of new. And and he's like, he's like, yeah, I've been hitting a lot of balls with Tom. And Tom's got this old wedge that Bob had been making him for years out of this old school, what we call an oversized head. And it was a wide school 60s at 61 degrees, minus a half inch. I'll never forget it. And uh, he goes, I love that wedge, and I want it. And I remember going home to Bob and saying, hey, I think we need to make this as a tool. We need to make an actual part. And... Uh, and Bob goes, well, how many do you have on tour? And I said, well, I only have one right now, but I think eventually this could this could turn into something special. Yeah. And and it did. You know, one guy had it, and he told his friends, and then I had two in play, and then four in play, and then ten in play, and before you know it, that's where I come in and I go, it takes two and a half hours to make this one head. Let's let's make a tool. And I think he was great in saying, yeah, let's do that, and let's do it together. And that's really, I think, where he told me, he sort of let me into his into his world of design and said, hey, let's make this together. I want to teach you what I'm looking at, what I'm looking for, um, things that I pay attention to. And, and, and I think that's really where I got involved in it on a deeper level so tour pros test your your gear new sm9 but but how much are you testing it how much do you take for the prototypes out and and hit them and work with them just to see how they're performing i wish i was testing them more (laughs) (laughs) i don't get out and play a lot of golf i got three kids and and oh you're in the same boat as me yeah i mean it's and don't get me wrong it's the best um it is but but family always comes first for me and 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 so it's family and work and I'm not playing a lot of golf these days, but I am spending a lot of time on the range talking with players, and that that feedback is extremely valuable. I get a lot of questions on, you know, what's in my bag. I change out wedges a lot. I keep the same lofts, but I like to try different grinds. I think it's important, uh, and I and I want to learn as much as I can. I, I don't think that I can get any better at this job if I'm not continually absorbing this information from the best in the world, um, even down to players like you and me. You know, it's what do you feel? What do you hear? Where do you have mistakes? 
where are your strengths, you know, all those things really, they really teach me a lot about what I want to look for and the reasons why. With with three kids, you're a wanted man when you're out here. How do you how do you balance kind of that that work life balance? I feel like we all kind of struggle with it from from time to time. How do you how do you kind of you know maintain both? Yeah, it's it's hard. It really is. This is the, this is a really demanding job. Um, we travel a lot. I'm on the road close to forty weeks a year. Yeah. Uh, when I'm not on the road, I'm at home working in the office trying to get things going. And um, my kids. They demand a lot of my time as well. They're older now, so they're all in sports and music. And uh, Taylor, you know, she's she's managing everything for me. So, <laughs> so you know, that's she's my saving grace, to be honest. But um, God bless the wives. I know they are the very best. I don't give her enough credit, but you know, you you do your best. Um, I know I have a massive responsibility to keep what needs to be done out here uh, on track. And I know that um, I need to go home and, and be the best dad and spouse. And uh, you know. You just got to do it. I just got to suck it up and, you know, give away some of that free time that I would normally use to lay on my couch and veg out and just stare at the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. um, I need to be present in all those different aspects. And I know um, I'm doing that better than ever. I wasn't always good at that, but uh, trying to manage that time is, is really important. So I'm, I'm just taking it day by day. AD, this is fun. Yes. Thanks for the time. You're the best. Thank you. And that'll do it for episode 125. Fully equipped. Is that right, guys? Yes, no, maybe so. That is correct. One twenty five. correct. All right. One twenty five. Yeah, it's 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 been a couple episodes. As usual, if you want some gear goodness, check us out on social media. We are at full equip golf on Instagram, at fully underscore equipped on the Twitter. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.